0: Hello guys, welcome to Christian's Corner. I'm your host, Christian Millsaps. Tonight's going to be a very emotional episode, both good and bad. I look forward to getting into it. Without further ado, let's start. Zion Williamson is undoubtedly the most hyped NBA prospect since LeBron James. It hasn't helped Zion that he has drawn so many comparisons to LeBron since high school. From the way he played to his physique, everything about him made people think LeBron. He finally signs with Duke, and already everybody's saying he could easily be an all-star right now. I'm not going to sit here and argue that point, because we don't get to see whether or not he was all-star caliber player, because he didn't even play until January 22nd. All the questions, well, the big question that really plagued everyone's mind was would Zion be able to with those extra 30 pounds or so be able to transition to the NBA and stay healthy so far the answer to that question has been no he gets injured in the preseason and we don't get to see him until January 22nd which really let a lot of people down but not as much as New Orleans fans Zion is undoubtedly a talented player. Nobody's arguing that. Yes, he's overweight, but he uses that extra weight to his advantage. He can still jump out of the gym. He can still run very, very fast. He's very agile for someone so large. And he uses those extra pounds to body almost anybody he wants. He did it in college, and nobody could have an answer for him down low. He didn't have to have the ball anywhere in the paint because nobody was going to be able to stop him. The question is in the NBA will he be able to bully people like he did in college? Probably not because there are a lot more seven footers and a lot of those seven footers are a lot stronger than any of those college athletes that Zion faced. The other question will he be able to use the rest of the court to score? In his opening game the answer to that looked like yes. He went 4-4 from downtown Scored 22 points in his first career game. Unfortunately did lose, but impressed. He also was able to grab 7 rebounds, 3 assists. But those 5 turnovers really also tell a story of his game. He at times can be sloppy, uncareful with the ball, and so far his free throw shooting has proved to be a very, very poor part of his game. 50% in his first game, shot only 25% against Denver, and 38% against Boston. Will he be able to add shooting to his game? Will he be able to consistently score from downtown? Will he be able to body people down low like he did in college? And will he be able to use that enough to drop 20-plus points without really having to worry about the rest of the court? He'll always be able to rebound the ball. He'll always be very lively defensively. But the turnovers and the shooting percentage from anywhere outside of the paint, including the free throw line, will always be a question that yet we cannot answer. But the biggest question is the injuries. Unfortunately, we've had to wait this long. And the question is, how much longer will it be to his next injury? Will we get to see him for another 7 games before something happens? 10? 20? Maybe 1? That's the biggest question on everyone's minds. Can Zion stay healthy and really have the career that everybody is expecting him to have? Or will he be another Greg Oden? Or Derrick Rose? The youngest MVP in league history with a bright, bright future. All of a sudden, his knees let him down, and he was never that same player. Now, last season, he had a very emotional game and really showed everybody what that MVP Derrick Rose used to look like. And he has proved since then to be a consistent player and has been able to stay healthy. Will Zion resemble Derrick Rose's career, or will Zion be able to beat the injury bug that? A lot of people think he may or may not have because of that extra weight. Will he cut that weight? What will happen to Zion? Only three games in, that's really hard to tell. Only time will tell whether or not Zion will be able to beat those odds and stay fresh. He may look like LeBron, but LeBron has 30 less pounds than he does. And LeBron has... Been a very consistent player and stayed very healthy throughout his career. And when I say consistent, I'm talking about his health. So far, it doesn't look good for Zion. Obviously, it's just one season so far. That's not saying that he's going to have an injury bug the rest of his career. But it leaves you wondering will this be signs of the future? Or can he actually make sure that he can stay healthy, provide valuable minutes? for New Orleans and impress everybody in the way he did in high school and college. Again, time will tell, and I look forward to finding out. Now we move across the pond to Europe where Christian Eriksen, former Tottenham midfielder, finally got what he wanted and was able to leave the club. He provided valuable assists, goals, dribbles, everything you can think, beautiful passes, for that Tottenham side that really proved very valuable. He was a big part of their Champions League run last year where they ended up placing second after they lost to Liverpool. And since the summer, he's been heavily linked to really anybody that the news could grasp some rumor for. And hint after hint after hint kept dropping. Erickson didn't want to sign a contract. He said in the summer in an interview that he was willing to try new things for his career. And then when Mourinho takes over Tottenham, it was pretty obvious because not only did Mourinho let Ericsson start talking with clubs outside of England to sign a contract, but he also just didn't play him. He didn't play him at all unless he really, really had to. Otherwise, Ericsson just sat on the bench. Finally, in January, he's moving to Inter where he'll be able to provide his passing ability, his set-piece ability, his dribbling, his shooting, everything that Eriksson provides, he is now moving over to Italy to provide his talents for Antonio Conte and that Inter side. It'll be interesting to see what he is able to do for that club and their midfield and whether or not he'll be a big part in helping Inter make a bigger Champions League push in February when the competition picks back up, where I look forward to seeing what the new Inter man can do with his club. Now, moving back to American sports, Eli Manning, after having a very disappointing season after getting benched for rookie quarterback Daniel Jones, has decided to retire. He has had a very, very good career winning two Super Bowls, being one of five quarterbacks to win Super Bowl MVP twice, and doing that against the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, who have easily been the best organization. In the past two decades. Eli is also in the top 10 for passing yards and passing touchdowns at seven all-time in both categories. That, by all means, is a good career. The question is, is it worthy of the Hall of Fame? Some will say yes. In my personal opinion, I just don't think he is. Yes, he's had a good career. He's in the top 10 for passing yards and touchdowns, but for me that isn't enough. He was never first-team All-Pro, which you don't necessarily need to have first-team All-Pro to define yourself as a Hall of Famer. But it doesn't help your case either. He's also had a notorious reputation for throwing a lot of interceptions. His three seasons with 20 or more interceptions, and only one season where he only threw single-digit interceptions, which was his rookie year where he threw nine granted he didn't play in all games he didn't even start all nine games that he did play in and yes he only threw five interceptions this season but again he only played four and when you throw five picks in four games that might be the reason you're benched now I don't necessarily think that it was right to go with Daniel Jones but I also don't think that it was necessarily wrong to go with Daniel Jones It was disappointing to see Eli go out in such a way, but you don't always get to choose the way your career ends. And if you look at Kurt Warner's opinion on whether or not Eli should be in the Hall of Fame, Kurt Warner has been quoted saying, When you look at the Hall of Fame, you gotta look at the regular season and the postseason. He says, and I quote, I kind of feel like Eli is the opposite. His regular seasons, if you just stack them up one by one and looked at that, you'd probably go, I don't know if he is. Probably not. But he goes on to say, if you look at those two epic Super Bowl runs and the fact that he beat Tom Brady and played his best at the biggest moment, and now that equation gets more into that mix, I think he's a borderline guy. Fair point. If you do look at Eli Manning's regular season statistics, you look at it and you go, it was a good career, but it wasn't the best again he had those interception problems to be fair he didn't always have the best teams around him, but still throwing double digit interceptions and not just low double digits high double digits seventeen eighteen twenty ten fourteen twenty five sixteen fifteen twenty seven which was his career high fourteen fourteen sixteen thirteen eleven that's a lot and Not only is it a lot, but he ranks in the top 10. Once again, four interceptions at a career total of 244. Sorry, 12th all time. Now, I wouldn't say he's had a not worthy Hall of Fame career purely because of his interceptions, but it doesn't help his case. If you look at his entire body of work, those Super Bowls really elevate his career. To be able to do what he did against New England in two decades where they just absolutely dominated teams is quite impressive. The way he played to be able to get two Super Bowl MVPs against what is the best team of the past two decades, it's impressive. But is that enough to put you in the Hall of Fame? For example, if you look at blind statistics with no context, Nick Foles, his playoff career matches up to that of Eli Manning. Eli, 234 yards per game, 1.5 touchdowns per game, 0.7 interceptions a game, and a 2 touchdown to interception ratio, winning two-thirds of his games. But you look at Nick Foles, 272 yards per game, 1.8 touchdowns per game, 0.8 interceptions per game, so that it is a bit higher, a 2.2 touchdown to interception ratio, and an equal two-third win percentage. Now, if you just completely look at the statistics, don't even look at the names that accompany those statistics and no context, you, you could argue that quarterback two in this instance being Nick Foles is a much better quarterback in the playoffs. But again, that's without context. If you look at the entire body of work, of course you'd pick Eli, two Super Bowls, a lot more games than Nick Foles played as well, and a lot more time to prove himself. It's just two really good seasons, two amazing Super Bowl wins, to be fair, and one of the most iconic catches in Super Bowl history, David Tyree, the helmet catch, is nothing but amazing. But you go back and you look at the reality of his entire career and you go, "Eh." if you take away those two Super Bowls, you look at a good, but just barely above average career. Yes, he ranks in the top ten in two very important categories, but is that really enough to define this as a Hall of Fame-worthy guy? Is winning two championships enough to say, oh, this guy deserves to be in? Do championships, Super Bowls rather, really weigh so much that an average body of work is now enough to get you in to the most prestigious honor that you can receive as a pro football player. I don't think so. I think he's had a good career, but I don't think those numbers and there's two Super Bowls really lift him into that elite player caliber. I'm not saying he's average. He's definitely a great player, but the Hall of Fame should be for the elite. And in the MLB's case, it is for the elite. It's very hard to get into the Hall of Fame. It can take many years for players to finally meet that threshold and get in to the Hall of Fame, whereas the NFL, it's more of a popularity contest. Just look at Joe Namath, for example. Yes, he won a Super Bowl, and he will always be remembered for pointing up to the sky and saying that we're going to win. If you think of Joe Namath, you think of that iconic moment where he guarantees a Super Bowl championship. That was amazing. It was totally badass. And, I mean, the audacity, the swagger to say that and not even care. And then to be able to pull it off and actually win a Super Bowl before the season even starts to make that prediction right, that's amazing. But then you look at Joe Namath and had the rest of his career, which was injury-plagued. And lackluster. By no means did he have the statistics or the career that really makes you go, oh, that dude is elite. I feel the same way for Eli Manning. Now, I think Eli Manning is a much better quarterback, no offense, than Joe Namath. But I don't think he's elite. And unfortunately, I don't think that the NFL Hall of Fame is full of elite players. I think there are a lot of guys who, by by all means, are great players and did a lot for the game, on and off the field. But I don't necessarily think that they deserve, if we're looking at what the Hall of Fame should be, where only the elite players get in, why are they there? And I'm not going to just start saying, oh, well, this guy doesn't deserve it, and this guy doesn't deserve it, because then that's just getting into a whole new topic of you're just essentially bashing players, which I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to bash Eli. I think he's a great player. I love him as a player, But I just don't think that his career is elite. I think it's darn amazing. I think two Super Bowls is quite impressive. Being one of five guys to win multiple Super Bowl MVPs is also quite impressive. To throw as many touchdowns and for as many yards as he has is amazing. But if you really look at the standards of what makes an elite player elite, you can't look at two runs or two seasons got to look at the entire body of work and that entire body of work while impressive again is not elite. Elite is like Peyton Manning. 71 almost 72,000 passing yards, 539 career passing touchdowns, fourth most passes completed all time, fourth most pass attempts all time. Now if you look at Manning he also has thrown the ninth most picks actually six more, wow I'm bad at math, seven more than his younger brother Eli, but he also did that in 1,200 more pass attempts. He also ranked sixth all-time in passing yards again. Now obviously comparing him to Peyton Manning is quite the comparison because Peyton Manning has probably had the greatest career at the quarterback position. Yes I know there's a guy named Tom Brady But if you stack the two up and don't just look at Super Bowls, Peyton Manning has easily had the greatest individual career ever. Now, Tom Brady has had the best career in the sense that he's won the most championships, something that no other player in NFL history has done. That's quite impressive. But Super Bowls are a team effort. But what Peyton Manning has done is more speaks to what he's done in his individual career. He also has seven first-team All-Pro selections. Everything that Peyton Manning has done in his career, you look at and go, wow, now that's elite. Okay, he only has two Super Bowls, but everything else undoubtedly is elite. You look at Tom Brady and you think elite. Six Super Bowls. Now, I know I said that that's a team effort, But it's still pretty impressive that he won six. I still think Peyton Manning is the better overall quarterback. And if I wanted one to build a team around, I would choose Peyton every time. Not because I don't think Tom Brady is a good player, but because I just don't think anybody measures up to what Peyton Manning has done in his career. Even a guy like Tom Brady who has won six rings. But you look at those rings and you go, okay, his first couple were won by field goals not by he himself. Now you could argue that he put his team in the position to kick those field goals okay fair enough but if you look at overall career regular season postseason take everything into consideration you're going to pick Peyton Manning and a lot of times this phrase is thrown around Tom Brady's a system quarterback a lot of people don't like that but you can definitely make a strong argument that it is. With that being said, you compare those guys to Eli Manning and you go, okay, they're elite. Six Super Bowls. Statistically, pretty much the greatest career of all time in Peyton Manning. And you look at Eli, which statistically is good. Two Super Bowls, the same as Peyton Manning. But the whole body of work just doesn't add up. Now, if Eli had six Super Bowls, that changes things. Or if Eli had the career statistically that Peyton Manning did. Okay fair enough, but he doesn't. He has two really good seasons, but those seasons weren't even amazing. If you look at his regular season in that Super Bowl win in 2007, it was all right. He threw 20 interceptions and 23 touchdowns, just three touchdown difference. He threw for 3,300 yards and took his team to a 10-6 and six record completing only 56 percent of his passes that's not an elite season but it's what he did in the postseason that people will remember and they totally should he definitely deserves to be remembered for that but it's not the full picture he had an average regular season and made a really nice run in the playoffs is that really elite or is that just two really nice postseasons and a pretty darn good rest of their career I don't think he deserves it. I think he will make it. Because like I said, it's a popularity contest. But if we're judging by actually what you achieved in your career, and we don't put everything into the Super Bowl, I don't think he makes it. And I'd argue, I don't even think he's close. But a career that is undoubtedly great is that of Kobe Bryant, who we tragically lost this past Sunday, in a freak helicopter accident due to weather, along with his 13-year-old daughter and seven others. It was completely unexpected. I was actually taking a nap, and I wake up to see a text from my brother that said Kobe Bryant was dead, and I was in shock. I couldn't believe that Kobe Bryant died, so I looked it up because I thought it was some joke journalistic article or All those fake, sorry to use the term, fake news outlets that post outlandish stuff. But unfortunately, it was no joke. It was the truth. And to make matters worse, his 13-year-old daughter, along with a couple of her teammates, coaches, and parents, died. It's a massive loss for the basketball community, the Los Angeles community, and the world entirely. But it's also a massive loss for many families a mother lost her husband and her 13 year old daughter and more parents husbands wives lost their spouse and children as well but we're left to remember one of the greatest careers in basketball history and one of the easiest transitions from being a player to life after getting an Oscar what felt like seconds after retiring from a record 81 point game and 62 points in just three quarters to dominating the court winning five rings with Shaq with Powell with Phil Jackson to hitting free throws after tailoring his Achilles which I think that right there sums up Kobe Bryant and one little thing that Mamba mentality Which we will always remember. He's an amazing player. He was an amazing person. He loved his family. And he was gone too soon. Even though he's gone though. He will never be forgotten. His body of work. His lasting image of fadeaways. Amazing dunks. To hoisting championships under LA. Everything that he did was extraordinary. And the entire world is mourning kobe bryant's loss it's hard not to when he did so much for the game of basketball and so much for the people of los angeles it's still unreal it's still hard to believe that he's actually gone and everybody will be talking about it for weeks and nobody will forget the legend of kobe bryant the nba is already in talks of putting him in the hall of fame this season well i shouldn't say this season this year To really honor the life of Kobe Bryant, I think I'm like most people, speechless about what's happened, again surprised about what's happened, but also touched by the acts of others following his passing. I think the biggest thing that I took away from Sunday was the Toronto Raptors and the San Antonio Spurs, both committing shot clock violations to honor number 24. It will take a lot of getting used to realizing that Kobe Bryant truly is not here. But that legend of Kobe, of the black mamba, will never die. It, will something, it is something that will follow all of us. It, will, it is a story that will continue to inspire young basketball players and will always go down as one of the greatest athletes of all time an athlete who transcended more than his sport, who transcended more than the country that he played in. He was a global figure, and he's one that will never be forgotten. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, and the prayers for his family and for the others involved. Now leave us with a moment of silence. But before I do, you guys have a good week, and I'm signing out.